My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Carrie Barrett hosts a great podcast called The Carrie Barrett Show. Carrie, tell listeners what to expect from the big program. We talk about everything from media training and virtual executive presence, tips and tricks, but also mindset, confidence, and how you can leverage those newfound skills. Awesome. And where can people subscribe? You can go to my website, www.carriebarrett.com. You can find the show at marketingpodcast.net, or you can search for The Carrie Barrett Show wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Artificial intelligence is remaking marketing as we speak. And if you're a marketer, you can either get up to speed or get left behind. The choice is yours and, really, it's a no-brainer. Join Jeff Livingston and Greg Verdino as they explore the latest AI news, trends, tools, and ideas that are creating the future of marketing today. This is No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, yes, I am an AI Take it away, Jeff and Greg. Hey, this is Greg Verdino. Welcome to No Brainer. Thanks for joining us. And I am here as always with my bald brother from another mother, Jeffrey Livingston. How you doing, Captain? How's life up in New York? Life is good. It's cold, but good. Cold, but good. How about down there? Probably the same. It's warm. Is it really? It's 65 degrees today. Holy cow. Up here, it feels like it's about five. Mm-mm-mm-mm. I think it's warmer than that, but it definitely feels cold. Jet stream, man. Yeah, gotta love it. Gotta love it. Uh, we're going to kick in in just a couple of minutes. Let me remind everybody that we rely on your support, and we would love it if you could, of course, subscribe to the channel, subscribe to the show. If you like what we do, rate. If you don't like what we do, rate us as well. Uh, we'd love to have your reviews for No Brainer. And um, if you are watching us on YouTube, smash that like button, subscribe to the channel, and do all that kind of good stuff as well. Um, so, Jeff, I think it's over. Yeah. The end. The, the AI, end. AI over. is done. It's yeah, done. We'll never, never see another script again on any computer. Absolutely not. So what are we talking about today, Jeffrey? Well, I think that's uh, that's pretty much the nutshell of it. We're back on a new episode, but we're focusing on the rumblings that AI hype is done, that everybody's dissatisfied, that enterprises are over it. And what what is this really about? Is AI really dying? I think our kind of working title for the episode is uh, AI hype is dead, long live AI, which should tell everybody uh, what we're thinking. But, you know, what what kind of triggered this episode was a Yahoo report, which we're going to drop into the show notes. Um, 
and it showed that over the last six months, quarterly earnings discussions of AI and probably in particular generative AI have dropped in half uh, in, over that period, which is a significant discussion. That means it's kind of like no longer unicorn pixie magic for investors. Um, and on top of that, you know, we also have heard and seen several of our peers on LinkedIn, some on the agency side, some as CTOs, some of them as tech thought leaders or I don't know, the usual influencers that say, hey, you know, AI hype's kind of over or we're not seeing uh, the business momentum that we would expect for these gen AI tools. Um, and some are uh, positing even that AI-centric agencies are failing and wondering why. It's, so we're going to dive into those a bit. And just for the record, we're not really, and I think everybody that's listened to this for a long time know this, but for those of you that are new, we're not really huge fans of overhyped technologies. We've discussed this quite a bit, that it's not really brass tacks, best practices for marketing. Um, and uh, this episode in particular is not going to focus on OpenAI Sora, which a lot of our peers have. We welcome you to check out those uh, podcasts. However, we do reserve the right to discuss Sora as it typifies uh, an overpromised AI hype. Um, and for those interested, uh, we'll also uh, drop a link to an advisory that we published suggesting that enterprise marketing organizations kind of take a wait and see approach uh, about weighing the positives of uh, Sora in particular. And it's a really cool text to video generator again, but it's not realistic yet. They kind of have to wait and see, since, of course, it hasn't been released to the public anyway, despite all of the chatter and everybody going crazy over the demos. So, 100%, right? Right. It's certainly a sound advisory, I think, yeah. in that regard. So we're, we're going to get we're going to do our three minutes no, rule again. We're going to try to be uh, less intense with the phone. <laughs> so we'll just try to generally be like... <clears throat> with each other, um, but uh, we'll try to keep this conversation tight. And with that, my man, I, I know you and I have talked a lot about this. Why do you think this is happening, Greg? Right. So, of course, it's natural that we would go from a, as, as uh, Gartner would call it, a you know, sort of peak of, um, of, of the hype cycle into the trough of disillusionment. It happens with every technology. It is expected, right? And we certainly have been at that peak. Now we're down in the trough. So why do I think it's happening? Here's a handful of reasons. Number one, I think OpenAI has been a victim of their own success in a, in a sense, right? They've been a victim of their own hype. They are a marketing machine. They've over-marketed their systems, their capabilities, their releases, their quote-unquote products uh, on a consistent basis. And I think people are kind of beginning to uh, both see through that and become maybe a little bit uh, weary of that constant pumping and pimping that we see from them. But it's obviously not just them. I think there is a general exhaustion. Uh, this is a space that has changed so quickly, evolved so rapidly. We're now seeing so many more significant competitors make announcements. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at Google announcing Gemini and Gemma and renaming Bard and like all these things happening all at once. And of course, they've had their own issues. Um, so I think that, you know, certainly all of this hype is really beginning to backfire. And to your point earlier, 
the reality doesn't always live up to the hype, right? You know, there's a lot of big claims about capabilities being made by all of these companies that don't actually pay out. A lot of promise, not a lot of real practice, let's say, um, or productization that you know, kind of is practical in, in, a, in a sense. So I think in a lot of ways, people are finding or struggling rather, and companies are struggling to find the value that they've been promised by these AI companies. Um, I think that, um, you know, it is this, a lot of it is this growing re- realization that um, the tools promise something that they don't necessarily deliver. And there is a great example that I've seen how every AI company, every generative AI company in their pitch decks and their presentations and their marketing hype this example of travel planning. You can use our tool to plan travel, but none of them actually do well at planning travel. Right. right. So they're putting a promise forward that doesn't even bear out in practice as if they almost don't even know what their tools are good for, what they could be and should be used for. So I think that's also part of it, too, which is this idea that in some ways it's almost a technology in search of a problem. hundred no, percent. Nobody was asking for a powerful AI system that would put video makers out of work. But here it is. We have Sora. So what is the problem we're really solving? Um, And I think finally we're seeing, I think in the business world at least, but I'm I'm seeing it in mainstream press and whatever too. Now that the sort of, now that the um, sort of the existential dread factor of AI, that it's going to, you know, take all of our jobs and destroy the world, eradicate humanity. Now that that's kind of died down a bit, I think organizations for the better are starting to really think about the real harms, the risks, what it means to be responsible with AI. And, you know, for example, I saw a study this week and we'll drop the link to an article about it uh, from BCG where among other things, there were other findings, but they found that when organizations were maybe a little bit ambivalent right. about the progress they were making in adopting AI, one of the key challenges that came up was they're not even sure how to re- how to adopt it responsibly. Well, one of the massive points in that study, too, was that 66% number, where 66% of enterprise executives don't believe that generative AI will ever make an impact on their enterprise. Right. Which is massive. I mean, that's right. a, that's and a that's huge a, letdown. And right? a far cry from where we were even three months ago, right? Where everyone believed that they could you know, have this massive productivity improvement, if nothing else. Now, 66% of executives saying, we're not really sure. We're giving right. it a go. We'll see what happens. But yeah, and, and part of that. So I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off. No, 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 go I, ahead. I've, I've given you two extra minutes, Greg. I understand. I know probably. how these underpinnings. I know. So next time I talk, I'm going to cut it down to 30 seconds. I'll make up my time. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, man. I'll, I'll donate some. Um, so with OpenAI, first of all, let's make that the second segment of the pod. Absolutely. These guys are look, we've talked about them before. I, I don't want to get into a bagging of open AI because obviously they've done some really impactful work that has shaped and really defined the AI era. But I do want to talk about their marketing in particular because I do find it to be problematic uh for the larger sector. But number three and four, real value in the hype problem in particular. Uh I mean, so the BCG thing really illustrates it. And 
the problem with these technologies and, uh, I, you know, when we get to open AI, Sora, for example, or even Gemini with Google search, I think you threw that one at me last week when we were talking about this, you know, I didn't ask for AI search, right? I didn't right. ask for summarizations of all the web crawls. I mean, do I find it useful? Sometimes, sometimes I want sure. to turn it off though, right? Like sure, it's really right. bad. And, you know, the way this has really been developed and forced upon us, it's just kind of like a technology in search of a problem. And yeah. this, this is a couple of challenges. This is classic Silicon Valley where you have like a, a huge capability that's suddenly available and, it, and it's pushed out. It's kind of like electric vehicles, right? We can now drive cars with electric batteries. Great. Do I want it? Is it affordable? Is it useful? Is it pragmatic? For a long time, remember, they weren't very useful, or pragmatic, or affordable. And, you know, it was really Tesla that made that uh, more accessible to people. But even now, people won't buy them because they're not really accessible from a price standpoint. Right. So, so that's a great example of a technology that's kind of trying to find its way into the problem and resolve, like, basically fuel, environmental challenges, CO2, carbon offsets things that people understand but aren't really super passionate about. And it hasn't really found the true price niche to make it a, a massive home run yet. AI is very similar to that in my mind where everybody kind of understands that it can make life better. There's a lot of fears about what it can do. Those fears haven't been allayed. We've been marketing capabilities like this. It can write anything. Can it? No, I don't really think it can. Not based off of what I've seen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The pictures, the illustrators, we have a lot of hype a lot of hype that's been thrown at us and not a lot of pragmatic problem solving. And, and that's really the challenge, you know, like people have to put on their product marketing or their product engineering hats and really build these things, not to say that we can do X, but I can solve problem Y. X can solve Y, not X is X. And I know that's a very basic algebra metaphor, but you get the point when you have just yeah. the this capability promise it's hype there's no value to it i think it's a huge challenge then also there's the we always talk about technology companies and the media coverage and all the ai influencers and, and this lack of grounded analysis is really kind of pushing everybody right and, and what we see is parroting uh really excitement about the capability which is kind of cool. I'm excited too. When I see NASA launch a rocket, it doesn't really impact me, <laughs> but it's cool technology, right? But that's geekery. When you market that as something that's a solution for somebody's life or somebody's business, and then you can't fulfill it because you basically only have a capability, massive challenge. And so it's not really enterprise grade AI. And it also the way generative AI in particular has been spun as full suite AI is very problematic particularly for marketing, which is AI is founded generally on data, customer-centric data in the customer journey. And generative AI is usually an end cap solution that helps scale, personalize, build out uh, campaigns, that kind of thing. But based on all that new, valuable customer information, which shows uh, past journeys, past sessions, um, all the information about uh, unforeseen trends and uh, customer behavior, movement and change. So I pass. I'm, I know I'm rambling now. Yeah. I mean, you're hitting on a number of things there. I mean, we've been speaking about and, you know, it's worth even reinforcing, you know, AI kind of with with the release of chat GPT, frankly, as the inflection point, 
went from the AI went from being science to being mostly press release and memes, right? And and that's problematic. And I think you feel that tension. You hear it. You see it when you watch AI researchers reacting to some of the things that are happening and trying to correct some of the misperceptions. Whether the average business person sees and hears any of that, I have no idea. Probably not. Uh, but you know, I think we all get kind of starry-eyed at the shiny objects and we lose sight of the fact that there is a much larger scientific grounding and purpose for artificial intelligence as a practice. And it's not about whatever, you know, it's not about whatever Sam Altman said yesterday or whether Google had a good release or bad release of Gemini. It's about fundamentally, are we building technology that's capable of mimicking human intelligence. Um, and that's, you know, kind of outside of the realm of what a marketer may care about on any given day. Right. But it is important to understand that the memes are in a lot of ways a distraction. Oh, they're and, hugely problematic. And, and people it, are turning them really, off now. It's the underlying science. And to your point, that gets down to the data. And, you know, a lot of what we're seeing and hearing and reacting to even now on this show really is about the generative AI hype cycle. And I know you've tried here to make that distinction because there is a lot of potential for generative AI for a set of very specific use cases. But the reality is for marketers and for businesses in general, the larger field of artificial intelligence, including, of course, machine learning, where we start to get things into things like pattern recognition and predictive analytics and systems that can, you know, essentially learn from our data sets and, um, and, and, you know, uh, provide us with insights that we might not have come to on our own, et cetera, et cetera. Regardless of whether they have generative AI capabilities or not, that can be incredibly impactful for the organization. But it is incredibly difficult and expensive for an organization to unlock that potential inside organizations who have had to make very quick decisions about AI have maybe realized that there is a gap between the promise and the reality, right? That, you know, you told me I was going to be able to take this cheap to free system chat GPT or whatever else and do just about anything my heart desires with it. And mm -hmm. the reality is I didn't realize I had to make sense of my really messy data and reach across silos and collaborate with my IT department, cybersecurity guy, data science team, and my legal department in order to bring all this stuff together, get it properly organized, get it structured in a way a system could understand it, get it all into the right kind of data lake so that I could access it. It's like, like this is not an easy thing. Right. Um, and if you're a marketer who hasn't had to deal with it, with that before, it's mind-boggling, right? And that's a problem. And I it's think. a problem that's existed for marketing for a long time, and it's it's not been easily resolved, that whole customer journey. Thing. Right. So. right, and you've got to be committed to it. You've got to invest the time. You've got to invest the money. You've got to invest the energy. You've got to build the, the capabilities, the capacity. The governance, structure. Yeah, the whole nine right? yards, right? And that's the stuff. That's the magic, right? That's, yeah. you know, the, 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 the cheapo system that churns out blog posts, mediocre blog posts is not the magic right now. It's everything else. <laughs> well, and, and, and two more points on this, and then I guess we should take a break and roll yeah. to the next section. One, 
the other problem with the, these promise solutions is they're they're really for individual contributors, right? They're not a lot of the actual tools. Yes. Yeah. Right. They're not really for enterprises. They're really for like you, Greg, or me, Jeff. Right. right. I mean, they're not for cognitive path or right. for Samsung or for Acme, whatever packaging. Yeah. Right. So, and that's problematic when you try to scale it up by just basically bulking licenses and, and throwing it at people rather than building in a, a true enterprise use case. Yeah. Right. Um, you even see that with something that is theoretically an enterprise solution, like a Microsoft Copilot, the enterprise class edition of that. But which it's is still just at the pushing end of, it to everybody's desktop. At the, right. At the end of the day, it's still sitting inside your set of applications and it's working on your data. And to be clear, I mean, just so that we're not misleading anybody that's listening, there are, in fact, enterprise class solutions, right? You know, you look at, say, a writer, not to endorse any given technology. Or all the tools that, like, Under Armour uses to basically create all the different advertising images and versions of that. Exactly. the The other major issue I was going to say on the product side with this is the lack of product marketing and engineering really comes home with all the ethical issues because they haven't thought out what their customer needs from a data security standpoint, from a legal uh, indemnification standpoint. I mean, when, when these are after, after the fact thoughts, this is basically a technology company that says, look, I've got a beautiful little golden egg for you. And, and, oh, you mean you need the golden egg to be put into a carton so it doesn't break? You know, I mean, it's kind of like that. Yeah. They haven't thought through their their customer use case at all. Yeah. They've just launched this thing without thinking it yeah. through. And so those ethical issues that everybody's really concerned about, and rightly so, mind you, um, both on the enterprise level and on a humanity level, are because these tools haven't been thought through from a true product standpoint. And that's a perfect spot for us to take a little break. We're going to hear from a sponsor or two, and we will be back with part two, where we're going to dive into open AI and their culpability in the AI hype cycle. I was really hoping we'd get the AI thumb balloons again. Oh, there we go. (laughs) My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. (laughs) All right. So now we're going into the open AI hype disaster. And I guess as the PR guy, I should really kind of take the PR as my original entry into marketing, writing, and public affairs in DC. So that's why I'm talking about it. Damn, I just ate 20 seconds with bullshit. Anyway, I think yeah, you no. and I. You're I down. Know, and, then I, 
Two minutes and 30 seconds. Go, go, go. And then I curse too. I mean, now I'm going to hear from Lisa. Um, I think you and I intentionally try not to talk about OpenAI on this show. In fact, we should probably have a Google episode soon, given how they're kind of imploding a little bit. But uh, in large part, we know they're the leader. They're the front runner. And we also know all the issues with Sam Altman in particular that happened over Thanksgiving. His uh, probable cause of being let go was at least partially because of his bombastic statements, shall we say, and his uh, predilection to say what is probably going to generate the most news. And in some ways, we know this is very effective. It's won elections. It's made memes. It's created celebrities. I mean, it, there's certainly some value to this in the attention economy. However, in a technology world, in a product world, attention only works for a little bit of time if you don't have the walk to back the talk. And so I think when we look at Sora, for example, which is probably the best way to to kind of slice and dice OpenAI because it's the most recent major announcement for them, here we have uh, a technology that's going to create video from text. Everybody thinks, again, like usual with OpenAI, that this could, as you had said earlier in the show, replace videography or change the face of advertising or, you know, maybe change the way that video is created for everybody. It democratizes it, makes it more accessible so that lower quality video is accessible to the average entrepreneur who can't hire a videographer. Whatever the case may be, what we actually got was a bunch of demo videos with the promise of an algorithm that's not ready for prime time that has numerous issues, both from the technology standpoint itself and from an ethical standpoint, all of which OpenAI kind of listed on its page. And they didn't promise when it would be delivered. They said it'd be made accessible to small groups of researchers, AKA developers that are willing to play with it. This is so typical of them. And on top of that, in our uh, advisory, we did note that GPT, the original version launched in like, what was it, 2019, 18? Um, DALI launched in 21. These technologies are still not fully enterprise grade. What makes people think that SOAR is going to be enterprise grade when version one gets released to the public? The reality about algorithms and open AI and any of these companies is that algorithms are really kind of something that's sold to data science teams. And the data science team takes that algorithm and trains it on their particular use case. Okay, so it's licensed, it's a B2B sale. It's a really hard industrial sale. I think NVIDIA would be a great example of a company that does that well, that doesn't overhype its technology. It sells it to other companies that build AI types of capabilities and cloud apps. You know, to me, what we have with OpenAI is a company that's in love with selling to the public, even though for the most part, 90, I would even wager 95% of its revenue is from B2B sales. Hmm. You know, that's an interesting disconnect, right? And I think it's part of what creates a lot of confusion in the market because it's not just OpenAI, right? But you look at OpenAI and there's OpenAI, there's OpenAI, there's ChatGPT, there's ChatGPT Plus or Pro, whatever it's called. There's ChatGPT Teams, there's ChatGPT Enterprise. There's, you know, available directly from OpenAI. You can get it through your Azure Cloud subscription. It's like, then you've got the same thing now happening with Google, right? Where you've got Bard, which is now 
Gemini, which used to be Bard, which is going to be Bard again. But there's also Gemma. There's also like there's all these different versions with all these like confusing sort of there. There's like no understanding of let's say like uh, is it a brand house? Is it a house of brands? It's just this confusing mess that's right for everybody from the individual contributor to the Fortune 10 company and the expectation that the same underlying technology is perfectly suitable to both. Right. Right. Um, And, um, you know, to your point, it's frankly incredible, right. Incredible that some of these powerful AI systems are available to the average consumer for day-to-day interaction through with, let's say a chat GPT or a bard or Gemini or whatever, um, or Anthropics Claude or, you know, name it. doesn't make a difference. It's incredible that any of us as an individual contributor can put our fingers on a keyboard or maybe, you know, talk into a microphone or whatever and create through direct interaction with an AI system that is more powerful than any AI system was 12 months ago. Right. But it also creates this weird dynamic where like you're people kind of don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it or if there's a use case or is this better and how is it better help me why is my life better why does it help me you know i you i complain to you all the time and you know it but i'm sure everybody you know (laughs) doesn't hear my complaints to jeff unless you're listening in on our secret conversations or or you watch the muppets because we're the two old guys in the parking (laughs) (laughs) you know how many times do you go on to linkedin and there's somebody on there sharing their top secret formula for using some generative ai system i won't do it and it's it's a 15 step process it's a nightmare that that takes longer than the than the original task like i don't have to i don't have to read an email anymore because i did this 15 step process i created a gpt i've uploaded it to this thing and synced it to zapier and did blah blah it's like just read the email you would have been done by the time you programmed this thing, you know. Yeah. So we have this; it's, it's bizarre. But anyway, that's a whole separate thing. But you know, it is this it's geek love for technology, really, which is right. cool. I mean, we which get it. Cool. We like, like winner, it. We like it too. Like, that's why we're here, right? Right. You know, but it, it come a lot of it comes back down to this sort of this. There's a lack of product strategy. There's a lack of, I think, core customer understanding. You know, this idea that you know they provide these examples of what AI can do rather than what it should do. They don't say, like, does the world want AI-generated cat videos? We're not sure, but you're getting them anyway, right? I mean, one of, for anyone that hadn't seen it, one of the Sora videos example was a scene any cat owner would recognize, which is you're trying to sleep and your cat's poking you in the face with the paw because it's like 5.30 in the morning and they think you're that not going to let them to death. Feed right? me, you know? me. And, and it's a nice video, right? It's a perfectly good example and it's impressive at face value. But nobody's asking for that, right? That, no. That's the thing that really gets me. Or woolly um, mammoths. Like, okay. Right, right. And the thing, it's not just open AI. So I don't want to make it sound like we're just. No, but they're the front runner. Open right? AI, but they are the front runner um, for the most part. Um, and they are and in many Google's, ways the loudest. Right. right. And I would say Google's following suit. I would say some of their competitors, maybe yeah. let's say, let's use uh, Anthropic, for example, don't get anywhere near as much hype, even though they're highly competitive from a technology right. standpoint. And that's because they refuse to play the game. They're just grounded, 
right? They, right. they stick to the product marketing. Right. But, you know, and when you look at the way OpenAI, like their face to the market, which is largely Sam Altman, right? He's not, they're not just going to raise money. He's going to raise all the money in the world. Oh, it, $7 billion. Seven trillion. 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 I, mean, I, can't, I just entire, can't even say that with right? a straight face. There I mean, are, like, come there on. There are entire industries that aren't a trillion dollars, let alone. That's like seven. a third of the U.S. economy. Yeah. Are right. you kidding me? Yeah, you're going to raise all the money in the world, right? You know, and that's the way they go to market. And of course it makes headlines. It, you know, yeah, because it's so bombastic and over the top. And, and this is the problem. Like, who wins in the end? Does Anthropic win or does OpenAI win? I mean, OpenAI right now, everybody's going to say, I would rather be them than Anthropic because they're worth right. more. They get a lot more attention. They have a lot more marketing potential. But I would also argue that OpenAI has had, until ChatGPT launched, which was really that zeitgeist moment, the crossing the chasm moment, they were nothing. Okay, what they were was a company that launched DALI unsuccessfully, then launched GPT technologies, which were interesting, and then they got lightning in a bottle. And really, right. they've been capitalizing and living off of that ever since then. Now, we're like 15 months into it. It's kind of like Doc Rivers, 20 years into his career after winning a championship with the uh, Celtics, and he still gets head coaching jobs, and nobody knows why. I mean, <laughs> that's what OpenAI's intention is to me. Like, look, this company is, doesn't merit it right now. And maybe yeah. that's that's part of the problem is that they're not really delivering. Sooner or later, that's going to come around. I, do you remember during the dot-com era in the 2000s, like early part of it in the aughts with Amazon, where everybody's like, when is this company going to turn a profitable quarter? And, and, and there's going to come a point where this is going to come home to roost for OpenAI. Now, look, they could be just like Amazon and turn it and figure it out right. and get their product marketing straight and just right. dominate the bejesus out of the market. But right now, what they're doing is they're leaving the door wide open. Uh, they're creating this trough of disillusionment. And companies like Amazon, Microsoft with Azure, which is basically repackaging all of OpenAI stuff, NVIDIA, these are the companies that are making real money in this era. And they don't need to be the front runner. They don't need to be the one getting all the attention. They're just doing basic brass tacks marketing with problem solution value. That doesn't necessarily mean boring. Like, for example, we're going to probably talk about Amazon later on. I think Amazon's done a really good job with it. Salesforce has done a really good job with it, with the data is the new gold. I mean, they're speaking to sales and marketing. We already had this conversation about the importance of data from this particular corner of AI's world, and they really nail it. Like, look, if you're not focused on your data, your AI is not going to be good. So if AI is the future, this is your gold. Brilliant, right. really smart marketing. And so, back to you. You know, and you know, I'm thinking about Salesforce and the, and this has always been a cornerstone of their positioning, regardless. But the extent to which they, for example, in their messaging, doubled down on trust and the importance of trust, knowing full well that an enterprise sales and marketing organization needs to be both trustworthy to their constituents, their customers, and needs to trust that the systems they're using to communicate with their customers, to house their customer data, are themselves trustworthy. It it makes this sort of vicious or virtuous circle, right? And yes. it's, it's the it, customer's language. It's the if, problem. If or data's the gold, then Salesforce is Fort Knox. 
Right. And as long as they create that impression, they're speaking the customer's language, they're addressing the customer's pain point, their concern, um, they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, it, it's, it's smart marketing. And that's not surprising. Salesforce wasn't hatched overnight. They've been around right, forever. Right. They, f- they fought the good fight over time. They had to, they were the upstart at one point, right? You know, trying to convince people to move off of Siebel systems or whatever the hell people were using back then. What? Lotus Notes, not wait, different, different tech. <laughs> Wasn't it Siebel? Like every sales organization in the world was on Siebel. And then all of a sudden they had to make An the IBM. argument that you could trust this cloud-based startup with all of your customer information and they were going to keep it safe for you. That's where they started. Yeah. Right? And now here they are basically saying the same thing. You can trust us because we've proven ourselves and we're putting trust at the center of our AI ecosystem. You know, and it just, it's super smart. Um, in a world where there is a lot of sort of, there are a lot of charlatans, a lot of chicanery, a lot yeah. of you know hype, a lot of noise, a lot of that. And I know you said that it's not necessarily about being boring, but when you list the companies, Salesforce maybe aside, uh, or a HubSpot aside, when you list the companies that are making a mint right now, I mean, clearly NVIDIA is like they're mining gold, literally. Right. Um, and they don't care about the public. They care right. about the companies they're, that are buying yeah. servers. And there's right. probably, what, like a thousand of them, 2,000 of them. They're really right. big brand winners for them. Right. And it's them. It's the cloud providers. It's 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 the literal gold rush analogy right they're making the picks and shovels and it can be the boring stuff because it gets really exciting when you can generate billions and billions of dollars of revenue selling the boring stuff and i would argue too in the case of amazon and i'd love to hear what your take is before we hit the break here um i would argue in the case of amazon they know that ai is not their business what their business is is twofold one they have an incredible commerce marketplace where it's the world's biggest online market. We know that. And number two is AWS. Right. Absolutely. And that's it. And they, they're not in the business of being like famous for AI. AI is just yeah. something that happens to right. make their marketplace better and something their AWS customers want. Right. And putting aside how they're using AI in their marketplace, because it is fully embedded and threaded through their marketplace. 100%. Every, every product recommendation, every personalization, the, every, right? But if you're the put, original AI use case <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? But yeah. if you put all of that aside and you look at just AWS, I think what they fundamentally understand is that. AI is not a bolt-on, it's a baked-in, right? And that at the end of the day, it is going to be embedded in every technology application, every technology system, an organization, or even ultimately an individual, but an organization uses. And they don't need to be famous for their algorithms, they need to be famous for provisioning those algorithms as part of a more robust sort of end-to-end, secure suite of technology solutions, in their case, delivered by AWS or via AWS cloud, right? And they know they win in a scenario like that. Yep. And with that, let's hit the break. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? 
Carrie Barrett hosts a great podcast called The Carrie Barrett Show. Carrie, tell listeners what to expect from the big program. We talk about everything from media training and virtual executive presence, tips and tricks, but also mindset, confidence, and how you can leverage those newfound skills. Awesome. And where can people subscribe? You can go to my website, www.carriebarrett.com. You can find the show at marketingpodcast.net, or you can search for The Carrie Barrett Show wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. We are back with our final segment today. And, you know, really, I think the question we want to close with and discuss and debate and, you know, sort of share with you as, as, as our loyal listeners is the question of whether diminished hype is ultimately a good thing, right? Is that, you know, everyone gets really excited about the hype and they see thing, you know, they see something slide down to that trough of disillusionment. And I think the natural inclination is to go, ooh, that's bad. And the fact of the matter is a lot of people who are living on the hype and kind of breathing that hype are going to kind of disappear into the woodwork a little bit. We've, we saw that with Web3. We saw that with the metaverse. We saw that with augmented reality and virtual reality up until the point when Apple just kind of restarted the conversation. Uh, but, you know, certainly when hype is high, everybody's eyes are on it. Everyone's talking about it. There's a lot of noise, a lot of confusion. It seems sexy. It's really hot. And then as soon as the hype goes away, people start to, you know, kind of get disillusioned and they you know start to back away from things but i think the thing that happens is in the, in that process is the serious and the solutions both rise to the top the people who are serious about the space who are committed to building value in the space stick around right? They continue to build, they continue to think, they continue to evolve, they continue to innovate, whether that's a technology company in the space, whether that's an investor funding the space, whether that's an enterprise experimenting in the space and identifying their own use cases and looking for value proposition through the technologies, right? The serious people will stick around and it will almost in a way force the serious people to become more serious, right? I think a lot of brands are feeling this where at the end of 2022 and certainly all through 2023, anything you did was goodness. Your CEO was breathing down your neck. If you were a CMO, if you could do anything, you were doing something. Right. But coming into 2024 now with the hype cycle dying down, if you're a CMO, you need to be doing the right thing, right? right? So that means getting serious about strategy. That means, you know, understanding where AI plays into your marketing strategy, how it supports your marketing fundamentals, how it helps you achieve your objectives, how it helps you innovate against specific customer centric and sort of corporate use cases. And this, this is where the rubber hits the road. And at the same time, the technology companies, of course, need to be much more focused on bringing solutions forward. I haven't seen a whole lot of it yet, but I think we're going to have to get there pretty quickly because all these companies that are pitching potential and not actually pitching something that's practical are going to find themselves increasingly struggling to get any traction with an enterprise buyer who's going to be looking for a clearer return on investment possibly, but certainly a clearer um, sort of pathway to 
a sort of practical result of some kind. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I, I personally think that we're kind of in for a, a bloody period that's going to happen now where you're going to see a consolidation. We're going to see some mercy kills. Yeah. We're going to see a lot of fails. And a lot of this is yeah. going to be around that Silicon Valley hype engine that's kind of emerged. I mean, we know that OpenAI really wants to be the next uh, big tech player. Um, and maybe they will achieve that. Maybe they won't. We'll see. Uh, there are a couple of other candidates like Hugging Face that may make it as well. For those of you that aren't familiar, Hugging Face does uh, AI algorithms. Personal agents is their big play right now. Whatever happens with that, the ones that are, are, are going to be brass tax oriented are going to be very successful. The ones that are kind of like the pets.com, uh, the equivalent of uh, a blogging platform that lacks the scalability and viability of other platforms. So WordPress versus Blogger, for example, you know, these, these winners and losers are going to emerge. We saw that with the social networking world too. Once social networking blew up, we saw a whole bunch of social networks launch. Everybody and their mother had one and a bunch of them failed. That didn't mean that social media failed. It just meant that all the startups failed. Right. And so I think what we're seeing and is that we're going to have a lot of people that aren't experienced with product marketing that don't play the big game, that don't understand resolving problems for customers that are going to flail, continue to play the hype game, and they're going to get the law of diminishing returns where it's smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and eventually that's just nothing. And I think those that focus on who their core set is, whether that's consumer or enterprise, are going to really nail it. Like, I still don't think we've really seen a great consumer AI app, right? The personal assistant, if you would, the ChatGPT promised or kind of hype right. itself up to be. Yeah, I, it's I still very early, right? I, I don't would think take Siri over ChatGPT any day, right? Yeah. You know, and, and so w when does that arrive? Is that Apple's play? And that's another thing that we have to think about here. And I, I know I can ramble on this forever, and that's not in the interest of everybody here. And we, we're happy to have a cup of coffee with you and jam about AI. But I mean, we do know that Apple's developing this they won't release something until they know that it's consumer ready. Um, and, and we see this often with technology ways where you have a whole flurry of activity and then the big boys come in, acquire, build out the enterprise grade or the consumer grade products and launch them and dominate the sector. Yeah. I think, you know, we, I'm thinking back to our, uh, I guess predictions, episode the one we do with jeremiah and i know i one of my three predictions was that they, we would be seeing an ai bloodbath i know you had a similar prediction right. you didn't frame it that way but you did talk about mergers acquisitions consolidation in the space which are just two sides of a coin really and yeah. i think we're absolutely heading there and certainly you know we've seen a lot Jasper of yeah, yeah, like a lot of skepticism around, um, you know, around these sort of thin wrapper, you know, GPT light products, you know, where you kind of throw a little bit of a, an interface around chat GPT or GPT-4 or whatever and call it a company. It's not even a product. You're calling it a company and you're getting investments for it. I think I just gave like a thumbs up and Jeff's AI kicked off. That was interesting. What is up with the Riverside? It's like, great. I, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> Where's the product marketing? God damn it. <laughs> um, but you know what else is interesting too from a marketing perspective is, you know, when you think about 
not even just the thin wrappers, but when you think about the fact that, you know, we're in generative AI, at least we are at a point in time when most products in the market, not all, but most products in the market are effectively built on top of the same foundational technology. They're right. built on one of a small handful of foundation models like GPT-4. Um, so they are fundamentally the same. It's kind of like you're building everything on top of Microsoft Office or something. That B2B play, right. exactly, right? Right. Um, but in, in a scenario like that, the it's not even the features or the functionality. It's certainly not the underlying technology that differentiates a company. No, it's the training. It's the forethought. It's the product development. And it's the marketing. It's how yes. do you position yourself in the marketplace to differentiate what you offer to an audience that's going to care, whether right. that's a B2B audience, an enterprise buyer, or a consumer. And that, to me, is where a lot of these technology companies are failing miserably, is they have not figured out how to actually identify their buyer, understand their buyer's jobs to do, and position their company effectively and in a way that is differentiated versus all of their other all of the other options in the marketplace. For the most part, again, not every competitor, but 80% of the AI writing assistants are effectively the same. Right, you know, eighty percent of the image generators are effectively the same. Eighty yeah. percent of the text to video tools are effectively the same. 80%, There's no differentiation. Right, eighty percent of the video editing tools are effectively the same. Right, that is not the way to build an industry or an ecosystem or to create a sustainable sort of life cycle for an organization, right? Do you remember when uh, Ning was out there with the social networks? Ning was a white label social network. And there were a bazillion social networks. There were all Ning networks and all of them sucked. Right. It was terrible. Right. Right. This is or, like that. And it's like effectively, I mean, what happened when Twitter launched and there was whatever was Plurk and, you know, all these stupid things that Plurk. Like, but they were all the same thing. It's like, oh, here's one Pounce. company. It's Pounce. Kevin Rose launched Pounce. Right, Pounce, right? It's like, oh, one company is succeeding with 140 characters. Let's make our thing that succeeds. And, of course, none of them succeed. We'll have 160. Yeah, 112. Mm. Um, but then there were technologies that were way ahead of their time, like, what is it, 12 seconds or 6 seconds? Oh, Vine, or the video that thing. It could yeah. have been Vine, and then Vine was ahead of its time no. uh, relative to what we're seeing today. You know, so that's talk, another yeah. thing too. Is right? There's that old adage of you know underestimating or overestimating technology in the near term, underestimating in the long term. Sure. I think we're going to see a lot of stuff fail that's not viable now. That you know, maybe three years from now, we're going to see the next generation emerge, and maybe those companies and the people that found them will have learned their lessons and will understand what it takes to build something that is viable and sustainable and has the ability to scale. Right. Yeah, totally right. So look, we've, uh, we've done our bit. I think that people get where we're going with this. I, I will say that generally, you know, to me, it's, uh, I'll, I'll make it my no brainer at the end. Go ahead. Do you want to do the brainer or should I oh, do the no brainer? Why don't you go first? Let's see what you got. <laughs> or maybe you have a brainer today. I don't know. Okay. Well, whatever it is, my, my encapsulation of this episode is, um, it's product marketing 101. Can 
this technology solve a problem? Yes, no. Does it solve the problem? Meaning you could say it can, and theoretically it can. Maybe it does three out of five times, but you're going to really piss off the other 40% of the market. Does it solve the problem regularly and consistently? Yes. Then market it and market it well and take it home. But if it can't do that, should we really be out there promoting the daylights out of it? I think that's really something that a lot of people in these AI companies have to ask themselves when they're asking for money, asking for people to believe in them. Absolutely. I mean, think of it. I mean, knowing that our audience is predominantly marketers, right? You know, would you feel comfortable as a marketer running a campaign or whatever for a product that you felt was not ready for prime time? And the answer is no. In fact, you might even get yourself, you know, kind of into trouble. You might get it, fired. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, so, I mean, it, it's, it's 101. Um, I think the thing that I would add here, I don't know if you considered yours to be a brainer or a no brainer or even what no the brains. hell the difference is no between brains. the two at this point. Um, but, you know, my kind of encapsulation or, you know, key takeaway is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, and if you're a marketer that should apply, um, I don't want to tell you what to think, but you should feel the same way. The end of hype is good. Right. It, it signals the moment at which the serious gets serious. The rubber hits the road. Yes. And, you know, to the extent that the, to the extent the technology companies need to settle down and get serious about solutions, not just stardust, <laughs> um, you know, marketers need to kind of go from sizzle to steak. Right. It's been sexy. It's been cool. Now it's time to really get serious and to start doing real work with artificial intelligence, generative or otherwise, that moves the needle for your business, moves the needle for your brand, delivers more value for your customers, helps you innovate, and ultimately provide some kind of return for everybody in your ecosystem, your constituents, your company, your customers, or whatever the case may be. Preach it to the choir, holla. I, can't, I bet everybody feels right now like, like, man, let's just get down to real work here. Let's get yep. down to the brass tacks. Absolutely. All Let's right. get down to the brass tacks of ending the show, my friend. <laughs> All right. It's been a good one, man. I really enjoyed this episode, and I hope you folks did too. Please smash that like button. Share it with your friends. If you feel like there's things we could do better, please tell us. We aim to please here. We want to do a better job. So please let us know what you think. Uh, in addition to that, we'll be dropping a bunch of links in the profile like we always do. Um, but one thing to consider is those uh, links for Sora that we talked about, um, as well as that Yahoo article on the quarterly mentions of AI and how that's going down. And finally, always find us and subscribe wherever you listen to or watch. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Carrie Barrett hosts a great podcast called The Carrie Barrett Show. Carrie, tell listeners what to expect from the big program. We talk about everything from media training and virtual executive presence, tips and tricks, but also mindset, confidence 
and how you can leverage those newfound skills. Awesome. And where can people subscribe? You can go to my website, www.carriebarrett.com. You can find the show at marketingpodcast.net, or you can search for The Carrie Barrett Show wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.